Hello and welcome to The Dirt, in partnership with Marshall's Garden. We're the podcast that doesn't see a problem with carrots having lots of legs. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Blake, Grow Your Own's deputy editor. For our last episode of the series, we're joined by a very special guest. He's a TV gardening presenter, a landscape designer, a charity ambassador, a radio broadcaster and a writer. Our interviewee today is Mark Lane. Welcome to The Dirt, Mark. Thank you. Where are you joining us from? I am in very grey and wet Canterbury, (laughs) just outside of Canterbury in Kent. Right. Yeah, it is so grey again today, isn't it? I feel like we've been saying for ages on the podcast, we just can't wait for spring to arrive now. It feels like it's been a long time coming. It's almost there. I mean, you know, I mean, the last, what was it, a couple of weeks ago when we had some really lovely sunshine, mm. it was, you know, it really felt like spring. Um, yeah, it tricked us a little bit. It did, it? didn't it? <laughs> um, um, and because I always sort of grow things like, you know, iris reticulata and uh, tulip humulus and things, yeah. you know, I, I've always got sort of early colour. So I'm always tricking myself mm. there as well because <laughs> I keep thinking to myself, yay, spring is here already. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I'm hoping. Yeah, I think we're nearly there. Very nearly there. Mm. Um, We're slowly warming up, isn't it? It, And just want the weather. Just want nice, warm, dry weather. That um, that must be such a boost to have that colour in the garden at this time of year, because I have to admit, I am awful at um, my garden at the moment. The beds that I normally have my fruit and veg and everything in, it's basically weeds and dirt. So, um, (laughs) So I have to say, the idea of actually seeing some some colour and cheer in the garden must be must be so lovely. It does make a difference. I mean, we're lucky where we are. We've got just under an acre and um, we've got a little mini orchard and there's daffodils growing all up in the lawn. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's that's a lovely welcome sight. But yeah, having those sort of small, very early spring bulbs that pop up, they're just like little jewels, really. Mm. Um, and I love them. And we just have them on sort of like an outside table, literally right outside our um, conservatory, so we can see them more or less every single day. Mm. Um, and it, it does make a difference because, you know, let's face it, it's probably about, it's probably grey and wet for about nine months of the year in the UK. So <laughs> we, need to, we need somehow to bring a bit of uh, colour into our lives. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... We always like to ask our guests to start off because, you know, we want to start off gently. <laughs> Would you be able to tell us about um, any of the real standout successes in your gardening career or in your life gardening so far? Wow, that's, that's I mean, it's quite a difficult one, Matt. I mean, I... Uh, I suppose the first one would have been when uh, my partner and I bought our first house, which was oh, 27-odd years ago. Mm. And um, it was in Charlton, just outside of Greenwich in southeast London. And uh, I'd got the gardening bug already, and I'd always had it, you know, growing up as well for my grandparents. And, mm. and we decided that we were going to put a new lawn in and I wanted the finest, finest lawn possible. Mm-hmm. So we went for a basically bowling green turf. And mm-hmm. um, I think I suppose, I think it's probably a success and probably one of my biggest failures as well at the same time <laughs> in the fact that when it first went in, it was absolutely beautiful and it was a lot of work keeping it. Um, and But the problem was, was that uh, as I got more into sort of wanting to grow more, plants more produce and everything else Mm. of course the lawn started to get a little bit smaller 
And um, it was almost it almost got to the point where we also sort of said when we're having that sort of parties and people around saying, please keep off the lawn. And of course, <laughs> you know, it was a bit stupid, really. Um, but when it looked when it looked good, it looked amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was about, you know, feeding it right, you know, aerating it, scarifying it, doing the whole thing. Um, and that, quite frankly, it was tiring. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And now, where we are now, we just leave the lawn to grow uh, long. And mm. we just leave whatever comes in and watch where the, the foxes and the badgers roam. And, you know, that's it, really. Um, I suppose also... Um, I'm a. I love. I love growing. Uh, I love growing flowers, but I also do love growing soft fruit. Mm. And uh, we have some peaches and some nectarines, as well as apricots. And we've also got cherries, apples, and plums, etc. Mm. But. It was, I think, with, with the peaches, I think my, one of my great successes, I think, was when we had 40 really lovely ripe peaches on mm-hmm. there. And there was nothing, there's nothing better. And it, I mean, the taste was incredible because obviously you still got all those sugars in there. Mm-hmm. And it just, they just tasted incredible. Um, and you know, they're just literally on the side of a pergola, but they're south facing and of course they get all the sun and Mm -hmm. we protect them in the wintertime. Um, but I think that was probably one, I think that's probably one of my best ones because I love it so much. Um, I think also, uh, just the fact that I'm able to be able to create an outside space and whether that's for me or for someone else. Mm -hmm. And that is always for me a big achievement because I just sort of think that, well, put it this way, when I, when I design a garden, um, when I show people the concept, it's always, I always watch their faces and I always want to see the sort of the corner of the mouth turn up <laughs> and a little sparkle to, you know, appear in their eyes. Yeah. And as soon as you see that, you know, you've got it right. Yeah. And for me, that's probably one of the, you know, the biggest achievement for each project. Yeah. And I love that. I just love that whole process. Yeah. Um, I think probably failure wise, I'm absolutely diabolical with lavender. <laughs> um and uh, no matter what, no matter how I grow it, you know, even if I add, you know, lots of grit into the soil, really sunny position. That's so unusual. It's, I know, it's really strange. <laughs> and I don't know why I just keep killing them off. Um, so I've given up now on lavender. Um, it's just not meant to be. <laughs> no, exactly. So I just use things like salvia or napita instead and, you know, uh, forget about the lavender. But yeah, that's my biggest failure, I think. And I don't know why. I just mm. don't know why. Um, but hey ho. Coming back to your garden design, yeah. I think that's such an amazing skill to have when you're saying, you know, you present the designs and the ideas to people because looking at it from my own perspective with my own garden, mm. I I think that I very much stuck to, you know, I have my garden beds where I put my fruit and veg and I have, you know, some beds for my flowers and then I've got my lawn. But I think it's the to have your mind work in the way where you can see a space as a completely blank canvas and Mm -hmm. you can almost tear it up and start again and lay things out however you want. I think that must be so amazing. So is that something that throughout your life in gardening, you've always been able to look at a space and see the potential in it beyond what's already there, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do actually. It's it's been very, very always, always. Um, I can I can see what the landscape or the garden should be. Um, and I sort of sometimes say to my clients, you know, when I'm first turning up, I say, you know, leave me for 10 minutes. And I normally close my eyes um, and then block off my ears. Mm-hmm. And then I open my ears and then I open my eyes slowly. And it's incredible what you sort of, the wind, which direction the wind's coming, the mm-hmm. sounds that you're hearing. And uh, I think a lot of the time, you know, gardeners, you know, we sort of get stuck in our ways mm-hmm. and we are used to the fact that a bed is there on the right-hand side and the path is on the left or wherever mm-hmm. it might be. Mm-hmm. And it just takes a fresh pair of eyes sometimes to just come along and just see past it. Or it's a bit like, you know, moving into a new house mm-hmm. and seeing past that awful sort of 70s decor. <laughs> um, and But, yeah, it, it is, it, it's a lovely thing to, to, be, to be able to do, but I... I I would say of every single um, garden that I've designed, I've always been able to see the potential. Um, and I, uh, put it this way, uh, I would say probably my success rate at getting the first concept approved by clients is sort of around about 90, 95%. Oh, wow. um, so, you know, but that's a lot of talking to the clients, mm-hmm. listening to, you know, to all their ideas, seeing their sort of pictures and inspiration that they love and then things that I put together for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I, but I love it because of the fact that every garden space um, is different yeah. and that's what's so remarkable about that part of my my, my career I suppose mm. is the fact that yeah you know one day I could be doing a, a cottage garden and then the next one I could be doing a I don't know a modern garden on a slope so mm. um, it, it's completely varied really varied. Yeah and for anyone listening that perhaps is thinking about this year doing a bit of a DIY redesign of their their garden Mm. what kind of tips could you offer what would you say how should they start that process I would say first of all start with measuring your site so Mm -hmm. you know doesn't don't worry about the the ups and the downs and all the slopes and all that for the time being just make sure you sort of get where all the boundaries are Mm -hmm. um, and get the size and then draw that onto a piece of paper um, look at where your doors and your windows are on your house and draw straight lines coming off from there Mm-hmm. and you'll sort of start getting these sight lines that you can then start working with. Yeah. And then really it's um, sort of, you know, why not? You can just sort of cut up bits of paper into different shapes and start playing around, you know, like we did as kids, you know, kids doing collages and things mm-hmm. and just have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously think about, you know, do you need a lawn or do you not need a lawn? Where's the garden shed going to go? How are you going to get to the garden shed if it's wet and soggy? Um, all those sorts of things. How big do you want your patio to be? Um, you know, are you going to put a, a hot tub in or are you going to put a pool in or are you not going to put anything like that in and it's just going to be, <laughs> you know, raised beds and a pathway leading up to them? Um, you know, but it doesn't matter what size it is. It's always about that initial measurement and that initial planning, which is mm-hmm. the essential part of it all really yeah you don't want to get halfway through and then find that you haven't got room for the hot tub after all exactly (laughs) Exactly. yeah it's a bit difficult to suspend well I suppose you could probably if you were doing (laughs) a cabin you could probably suspend one from a tree somewhere yeah (laughs) but I I think that's such such good advice even outside of um 
garden design and just looking at what you're planting because I have to admit I'm terribly guilty for getting absolutely carried away at the start of the season thinking oh I want to grow everything Mm -hmm. and then suddenly having a reality check I've got all of these plants around me and (laughs) actually not an enormous amount of space to put them in (laughs) yeah it's funny actually I did a I did a master class last weekend on hanging baskets for one of my charities Mm -hmm. and um I I mentioned in that about the fact, you know, plan about, you know, plan how many holes you've got in your hanging basket and then think, you know, think order your plants accordingly. But I'm just like you, Laura. I I get seduced by the catalogues and Mm -hmm. all the lovely photos and everything. And I think we're all guilty of it. And, you know, suddenly something turns up on your doorstep in May or June. You think, did I really order that? And then you think, (laughs) where on earth is it going to go? But there's always space, isn't there? We always seem to make space. I don't know how we do, but we always do seem to be able to make space. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, So before we move on to tips, we're wondering, do you have any other fails you want to tell us about or any, you know, things that have happened on the plot that have any funny things that have happened or anything? Yeah, I mean, I think um, for me initially, uh, I mean, I, it was fine when I was a kid. I used to do it with my grandpa, but um, I had when I I had I sort of went through this phase of having real problems of doing seeds and seedlings, hmm. and I didn't know what it was, and I kept sort of you know looking at everything and thinking, why on earth are my seedlings either you know damping off or are they just sort of dying on me and just not really hmm. doing much at all, and um, it's really sort of then going you know I'm racking my brain and going through the books again and thinking well I'm doing everything right you know mm. what is it am I just not giving them enough light am I forgetting about them and then maybe they're drying out in between and then it was just by trial and error and I think that's the thing with most things with gardening is the fact that you just continue and continue and continue to do it until you can do something right and you know just one day it suddenly worked and from there on it's sort of been a success so um I you know and I you know and that's what I would say to anybody who especially sort of newcomers you know if they're suddenly panicking about the fact of gosh you know how on earth do I sow my broad beans or how do I do my lettuce you know just do a quick google search or you know internet search or whatever have a quick look read Mm -hmm. about it Mm -hmm. have a go if it doesn't work then just try it again um and there's always next year you know, mm. if it doesn't work this year, there's always next year. So um, there was th- there was that. I think um, also uh, we we put we've put in uh, around our, our, the house where we are now. The um, house is in the middle of the plot, so the garden goes all the way around, which is really really lovely. Um, and we uh, wanted well, I wanted sort of the front bit to be quite formal but mm. the planting and everything inside to be quite sort of naturalistic and loose yeah. and I uh, decided that I were wanted to put a low green hedge in all the way around some of the borders and uh, I didn't want to go for box thankfully because of mm. box blight um, uh, but I, so I went with good old privet and uh of course you know flowers and the bees and the butterflies and everybody and everything love it um but it's a lot of keep um you know it has to be clipped four or five times a year Mm -hmm. um and it's a bit of a faff and when i need to get in there in my wheelchair it's a bit of a schmozzle Mm -hmm. um but other than that you know it again you know in hindsight probably would i have put 
should I really have put that hedge in? I don't know. Maybe, but it might come out at some point. I don't know. It's quite, it's quite odd. And then in the veggie area and um, fruit area, um, I think uh, I, I had a, re- I had really good success with rhubarb in one particular spot mm-hmm. and then when we actually moved here there was a really huge rhubarb crown and it did exceptionally well um and I thought to myself oh brilliant you know I know rhubarb's gonna grow everywhere in this garden you know I thought, <laughs> and I thought I'd go mad because I love rhubarb um and then uh I want I sort of introduced some raised beds into the vegetable into the vegetable plot and uh I put uh, some new rhubarb in and it just didn't do anything and I was really really upset and I thought to myself crikey you know what's going on here um uh, and then it's now I've now sort of sort of thought sod it I'm not going to do that anymore and uh, I now put cut flowers in there so um and I don't know why and the other poor little rhubarb that did exceptionally well is now completely gone. Oh. So I'm a bit upset because now I don't have any rhubarb in yeah. my garden. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, a little bit upset from that point of view. Um, mm. And uh, I love I love raspberries and I love strawberries. And mm. um, I think, you know, people panic. And I think I probably did right at the start of when do I cut back my raspberry canes? Which ones do I cut back? Um, and, you know, I, and I think like most people, a bit like with pruning anything and you sort of, you, you sort of err on the side of caution and you don't take enough off or mm. you keep looking at it and think, is that enough? And then you think, no, maybe it isn't. Then you go right in and you cut everything back. Then you think, crikey, have I done the right thing again? <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and uh, one year, yeah, no raspberries came up. Um, and I was a bit shocked by that. But um, now I've got the knack, thankfully. And we have, yeah, we have really nice uh, summer and autumn raspberries. Yeah. So, yeah, sort of a mixture, a mixed bag. Yeah, but it ended well. <laughs> it did end well. I, yeah, it did, I would yeah. say I absolutely agree agree on pruning being terrifying because I mean Blake is thoroughly sick of this ongoing (laughs) story now but um my fig tree is my absolute pride and joy I love it and pruning it terrifies me because even though it I mean one of my friends um last time she saw it said that it looks like it should be in the Mediterranean. It's absolutely enormous. <laughs> but I just, I'm always like, I don't want to kill it. I'll just cut a little bit off. And then, <laughs> um, so then I've got this absolutely gargantuan tree in a terraced garden, which um, I had to give it a proper a proper hack back. And I have to admit, I keep peering at it like, is that, is that some shoots f- on it? Is that some it will on? be <laughs> fine. Seriously, I mean, we've got a fig tree and ours is probably, I don't know what, five metres tall, four or mm-hmm. five metres tall. Um, and uh, we're fortunate where we are. We sort of, we're surrounded by fields, so we sort of overlook fields. And the fig tree's got a bit too big mm-hmm. and um, we couldn't see the one of these views. So uh, we went out there one, one, I think it was probably, must have been two years ago, went out and just literally cut the whole thing back by half mm. we really went for it we just yeah. went straight in and it's come back with a vengeance yeah <laughs> we um we gave it a bit of a harder a harder prune this year and I think the thing that's strange about it it's just something about that tree because everything else in the garden I'm absolutely <laughs> happy to just hack at and you know 
do what needs to be done. But for some reason, that fig tree. But I they're can't. beautiful, aren't they? It's the, it's the yeah. leaf shape. It, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's different. It's, it feels really sort of um, continental. It feels Mediterranean y. It feels yeah. wonderful. Um, and of course, when you get the fruit, it's even better. But yeah. um, apart from the fact, all the birds get ours mostly, but hey ho, <laughs> um, live live alongside nature. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It will come back. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that the uh, the listeners have probably missed the two episodes since I last. It's been a while, about hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the fig saga. We were saying we were going to have to set up a. Um, the dirt bingo and it was definitely going to have my fig tree and Blake's loofah plants on it. <laughs> excellent, excellent, I love it. Um, anyway, so bringing you on to um, tips and hacks, do you have any little shortcuts, whether they're time saving, money saving, anything that you can share with the listeners? Yeah, I mean, I love money, I love money saving things and I love to sort of reuse and recycle wherever I possibly can, especially when it comes to sort of doing seedlings or mm-hmm. um, pots or anything really. Um, but a really good, and I, t- I can't take credit for it because I think I must have read it somewhere in a book, but um, a really good way of making your own sort of um, self-watering container, um, which is just using a pair of... Uh, tights and an old pot and a sort of a a firm sort of um plastic lid is all you need and a bit of blue you know a bit of tubing and um all you do is you take a sort of a a nine centimeter pot so say for example you're growing something in a 30 or 40 centimeter pot Mm. or even bigger cut up sort of a 10 or 11 or a 9 or a 10 or 11 centimeter pot and just make little holes all the way around it's a bit like a colander Mm. and then uh, place that on top of a larger quite firm solid lid that would sit in the bottom of the pot the big pot draw the circle of the um pot onto it then cut the hole out Mm. and then stick the pot in and then you put your pair of tights over the top of the hole and then you fill it in with compost and then to one side of the sort of solid lid bit you make another hole and you put a pipe down Mm -hmm. and then you put the whole thing into the bottom of the pot then you fill it up with soil and then, of course, you can water down the pipe. And because you've got this little reservoir at the bottom with this little filter, ah. you've got the, your own little sort of watering system going on. Uh-huh. And, of course, that's brilliant for things like tomatoes and uh, peppers and aubergines and anything like that, really. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it's it's a brilliant, brilliant little sort of cheap way of creating because you know these sort of self-watering um pots can be quite expensive um so you know that's that's one of my little tips i suppose um another thing uh that i do that obviously uh being in the wheelchair is i always have a length of tubing anyway because and you know this is this is for any could be for you know disabled people could be for able bodied people mm-hmm. um depending upon how far you want to bend down or kneel down or whatever you know i use a, a length of pipe to sow my seeds All right. so mm-hmm. i would make the reel with you know sort of like a broomstick or something um and then i would just literally take the the length of pipe and drop my seeds down it along the reel and then just cover it back up again mm-hmm. and of course you can make that bit of tubing any length you want 
So you can do it from a seated position, a standing position, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And of course, different sizes. So if you've got bigger, be- you know, big beans, for example, mm-hmm. you know, we need to use is something probably like a, a bit like a bit like a drain pipe, really. Yeah. Um, but something, and it's just so simple. And this also, you can use that to also um, put fertilizer down when you've got like really sort of um, condensed or really sort of um, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, really um, bushy growth of shrubs or whatever together mm. and you want to fertilize them you literally just put this in between put your fertilizer down the top of the um, piping and then it goes into the goes onto the soil and then you can oh, just yeah. water it in so that way you don't have to get underneath and sort <laughs> yeah. of you know sort of find find the soil down below yeah. um, I would also say uh, I, I'm a great believer in um, I love my I love I love tools and I, I I love having different sort of types of scissors and snips and secateurs mm. and that's pure and I like to keep them all handy and it's purely because of the fact that you know as we all know there are different things that need different thicknesses for cutting and there's always mm-hmm. you know you always you know swear to yourself that oh, why the why on earth didn't I bring that one with me mm-hmm. and um, one of my other little garden tips is you know, have a little trolley or a box and keep all your tools that you know you're going to need for the day in them Mm. and take that around with you. And then that way you don't have to keep going back and forth to the garden shed. Um, So it saves on time. Um, And one of my biggest ones is, which doesn't cost anything, um, is something called pacing. And it's about pacing your activities. Mm. And it's it's basically uh, you, what you do is you you find how com- you know you work out what your period of time is, what comfortable period of time that you can garden in. So, say for example, you can do a job and you feel fine for say half an hour or twenty minutes, and then you think to yourself, "Crikey, my back's going, or my knees are going, or mm-hmm. you know, I fancy a cup of tea." Um, what you do is you set just a little timer on your on your mobile on your phone um set it for say the 20 or 30 minutes Mm. then you go and have your little five or ten minute break and then you come back and do that again do it for another 20 30 minutes stop and have your little break then come back and it's quite incredible because you actually end up doing a hell of a lot more than you would if you tried to do it all in one go because you know you know by the end of it you're sort of you know, you're hunching over, your, your knees are giving in, you, you're probably working at half the rate than you did right at the beginning because you've so shattered. Because yes. um, I think, we're, you know, again, we're all we're all very similar. We all just dive in and we all like to get on with it and just do it and roll up our sleeves. But pacing your activities is actually a really good one. Yeah. Um, you don't want to be out of action for, you know, a couple of days afterwards because no. you've, you've gone too hard on no, exactly on that one activity. Do you exactly. Know, so a bit of self-care. Yeah, because then you can carry on. And yeah. also, you know, it's really important to just take time out. Yeah. And, you know, we, we're all guilty, us gardeners are all guilty, you know, bums in the air, whatever it is all the time, because <laughs> there's always something to do, um, you know, to just sit back and actually enjoy your space. um and we a lot of the time we forget that yeah um so you know i would always say to people just you know have a cuppa have two or three biscuits and there's no point in having just one (laughs) um and you know just just admire what you're creating yeah um i think and and also for me i for uh on a on a personal note for my greenhouse 
I just found that having um, heat from beneath has made was life changing for me mm. when it came to growing things from seed, um, and also really seeing me through sort of winter months. Uh-huh. Yeah, it completely changed the way I I started growing stuff from seed and taking cuttings and you know i would urge anyone that if they if they really want to get into their seed growing and or taking cuttings or whatever is to, you know just get some heat from below and i just use the, the you know there's electric mats that you can roll up and then put them away when you don't need them um and i would just say you know just give it a try with one mat for first of all and then you'll get carried away and i've got them all on every single shelf now um but it just it just speeds things up and it makes for me it makes my plants seem to be happier and healthier and of course also feed your plants Mm -hmm. you know once they are growing feed your plants because people always i think especially especially new gardeners uh they sort of forget they sort of think well you know the trees are growing in the ground the shrub there's some shrubs growing in the ground everything is there in the soil so why Mm -hmm. not just plant it straight into the soil without any without anything and not feeding it or doing anything Mm -hmm. and then they wonder you know why sort of six months down the line their poor little shrub or their raspberry or their beans or whatever it is just not performing (laughs) um and you know, I you know I keep saying to people, you've got to you've got to improve your soil. You've got to know what soil you've got. Um, and uh, if people if people if they people take just that little tip on board, you know, just even by doing a pH test on your soil, you know, you will find out what it is that you can and cannot grow in your garden. Yeah, yeah. no, that's that's really great. And I think as well, looking at that sort of thing, if you have a bit of an extra chance right from the off of things working, then you're going to build your own confidence naturally anyway, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Um, so we always like to finish on asking what the biggest lesson that you've learned in your gardening career is. If you can't narrow it down to one, we will accept more than one. Ah, <laughs> uh, wow. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a toughie. Um, I think from a from a garden design point of view um i think it was talking to the wonderful late john brooks Mm -hmm. and him just explaining how to use the building and the architecture and how to relate that to the garden um and that has stuck with me um i would say my grandparents on my um, father's side for the fact that my, my grandfather was the one that taught me about how, you know, how to sow seeds, how to tie in plants, how to look after the soil, mm-hmm. you know, a time when, you know, it was very much about using every possible chemical you could possibly think of in the world um, in your garden. And there he was gardening yeah. organically. Uh, and I loved it mm-hmm. for the fact from that point of view. And then my grandmother, she was a, a flower arranger and she taught me about how to put color contrast you know um shape form and texture together mm. so uh, f- uh you know from from that point of view you know my, i i say i say thank you to them um i yeah. i i swear constantly at my grandmother on my mother's side because she their garden was always it was just full of roses yeah. and of course as kids we used to have to go out and pick up all of the horrible 
you know, blackened leaves and yeah. um, try and squish off all the aphids with our fingers. Yeah. <laughs> and all we wanted to do was play in the garden. Um, but uh, she, you know, what it taught me was the fact that, you know, roses can be beautiful things, but it mm. has also taught me that I actually dislike them. Um, <laughs> but uh, apart from that, you know, it's, you know, and then I would say, I think the, the I think the nicest thing is the fact that within horticulture, so many people really want to just help and impart their knowledge to other people. Mm. And I think that's what's so lovely about it. Mm. And also the fact that gardening can be something that you do in isolation, or of course it could be a group activity. Yeah. And I think that's what's so wonderful about it. And I know, you know, from my own story, how gardening sort of changed what well, changed my life and changed my career path mm. and I just call it my green pill mm. and um every time I go out there I feel I, I feel better instantly yeah. um and uh that's all down to an incredible horticultural therapist who when I had a, um, a stint at the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital she uh literally I spent more or less every single day with her and we just chatted yeah. and I think it's that actually is the fact that just by chatting with someone about gardening can just lift your spirits yeah. can teach you something new Definitely. um it's just it's yeah it's just I think it's that I think I, I love so much and I think that's yeah I think um that's definitely something as well that a lot of people have embraced in this past year that perhaps yeah people hadn't given much thought to their gardens before or maybe hadn't had much time to spend in their gardens before and I think they've really become a haven to people over everything that's happened in the last year. Yeah very much so I mean there was some research I think and it said that four out of five households have gardened more than they have ever done in the last year mm. um, and that on average uh, millennials have spent in the region of 230 pounds on their outdoor spaces mm. um, and when you when you sort of put all of that together you sort of think how incredible the fact again that throughout this pandemic obviously nature still continues to grow mm. still continues to you know we still marvel at it and um I think, yeah, it has. It's been that haven and it's been that refuge for a lot of people. Mm. And I'm really delighted by that. And it doesn't matter if you've got, you know, acres or you've, you know, you, you've got just a balcony in it or a terrace. Mm. Um, you know, it just having that outdoor space and being able to do something and just put some plants out yeah. or grow something or mm -hmm. eat something that you've grown has made a hell of a difference. Yeah. It can be so rewarding, I think, can't it? Yeah. Very much and so. I, th I think you feel very fortunate. Um, I certainly know I felt very fortunate over the last year to, I mean, my garden isn't massive by any stretch of the imagination, but to just have that space that when we were in full, um, the, the first most strict lockdown when you yeah. weren't allowed to go anywhere, having the outside space was something that I, I was incredibly grateful for. And just being able to step out there because I mean we're still we're still working from home now yeah um and I think sometimes you can be um a lot more strict on yourself in terms of because you're not getting up and going to get the tea round for the team <laughs> or anything like yeah. that so you're just sat at your desk so having a minute in the day where you think right I'm just going to go and 
water my tomatoes yep. or something yep. and having that it's been so been so amazing yeah it, it it has and i you know i don't know i for the life of me you know you know i feel very privileged because you know i i couldn't i cannot imagine what it must be like if you're on say the 40th floor of an you know of an apartment block with no outside space mm-hmm. and three or three or four kids and being stuck within those four walls i don't know how i would have survived personally um but i just think that you know I think in a strange way, I think what it's done, um, if anything, I think it's it's made us all appreciate our gardens and our, and our outdoor spaces a lot more mm-hmm. and also uh, wildlife and nature in general. Yeah. And whether that's because of the biophilic need um, or whether that's just because, you know, we just love being outside, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, it's... It, yeah, I just think it's I just think it's a lovely thing and I well, I think we're lucky. We're very lucky in the fact that gardening, you know, doesn't have to cost the earth to do. Mm. And that's the other great thing about it. And um at the same time, you know, you can work work out, get a physical workout without having to go to the gym. Mm. And you know, for me personally, you know, doing the weeding I absolutely love because it's my sort of um sense of uh mindfulness because i my mind just starts mm-hmm. to wander when i when i'm doing weeding mm-hmm. um and i love it yeah. and i you know and you know yeah the more of us that do that the better yeah absolutely um well i think that's a lovely note to finish on so thank you very much for joining us today it's been really yes, thank lovely you so chatting. Much. thank you guys it's been lovely um and blake shall we go and speak to some of the experts from Marshall's Garden. Yeah, let's head over and do that now. Hello, Paul, and hello, Mike. How are you today? Good Good morning, Laura. Hello, good morning. Yeah. Yes, all good. All good. Good stuff. We're seeing a little bit of sunshine. Spring is well and truly on the way. So, um, yeah, good times in the garden. Um. Now, for, this is the last, the last podcast in the series, in the current series. Um, so what we will be doing is we will be putting some reader questions to you um, on some of the subjects that you have kindly talked to us about um, over this series. Mm-hmm. So just to kick off, we've had a question from the TW Trug on Instagram who has said, I was told by my mum you should soak sweet pea seeds overnight before sowing, but have been reading others suggesting that you don't. So, to soak or not to soak? Well, Laura, that's a really good question. And it probably is the the gardening equivalent of a, of a scone or a scone, which do you put the cream or the jam on first? <laughs> um, I think you could probably spend the whole of this um, <laughs> podcast talking just about sweet pea um, seeds and and how people how people deal with them i think it's worth remembering that the the seed coating of the plant is there for a purpose put there by nature to protect what's inside which of course is that embryonic plant that is um given the right conditions just waiting to emerge mm. and of course the the whole process is about breaking the seed coat down so the moisture can get into the into the seed and then kickstart everything to, to start happening and mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter whether it's a a 
cress plant, a runner bean or an, an oak tree, the processes are all fairly similar. Mm -hmm. Some of them use different approaches, you know, heat, um, fire, all sorts of chemicals, all sorts of other things in nature. But when it comes to sweet peas, I, I thought about I thought about this quite quite a bit. And one of our suppliers grows a lot of sweet pea plugs for us. They're probably producing probably over a million plugs of sweet peas. Wow. They don't soak their seeds. Mm. And and I think it comes down to the conditions that you're using to germinate to germinate the seeds. Mm -hmm. I think if it's fresh seed, and I think that's very important, sweet pea um, will lose its germination viability mm -hmm. if it's if it's stored for too long in in not ideal conditions. But I think if it's fresh seed, it's in date mm -hmm. and it's sown in a in a pot, in a plug tray, um, on a windowsill or a greenhouse, and the temperature's kept reasonably uniform, because I think that's another critical factor. So so our friends at the, the nursery where they grow our plugs, they have obviously all the latest high-tech equipment, and they're able to keep really good uniform growing conditions, and they get amazing germination. Mm -hmm. If they get poor germination, generally it's down to seed viability. So personally, I stick it, sit very firmly in the camp of not soaking. Yeah. Um, I think people can try to soak them, but don't soak them for too long. Mm -hmm. Potentially the, the seed could um, could not have enough oxygen if it's um, submerged in water for too long. Mm -hmm. I, I think if people are getting good results with soaking, then it's like most things in gardening. What works for one person doesn't work for somebody else. And um, by all means, try it. I know yeah. people also try chipping where they'll take a little bit of the seed coat off. That needs to be done very carefully mm. or even abrading the seed coat with some some sandpaper. So there are quite a lot of different techniques. Personally, I wouldn't soak. I would use fresh seed mm. um, and and go for the most uniform germination conditions possible. Yeah, I do actually wonder. It's another one of those um another one of those areas where you wonder if some of it does come down to what's traditional for you, like at marking a certain point in the in the growing season. So whether it's another one of those things where there's sort of the personal historical element to it as well and what your parents or grandparents did and all of that kind of thing. Absolutely. I think if, yes, if if your your father taught you a particular way to sow, sow, the, sow the sweet peas, always sow them in the autumn, always always soak them for half an hour whilst you have a cup of tea or whatever they um uh you know whatever their particular tradition is then that's probably how you'll how you'll then proceed but i think generally i would i would say you you don't need to soak yeah yeah no that's great thank you so question number two um, is from Allotment Cafe on Instagram, who asks, is it best to grow onions from seeds or from sets? Um, yeah, I'll take that one. Uh, I think I think the first thing I wanted to say, having sort of researched it and looked around and, and from experience, there doesn't seem to be any difference in uh, the yield or the size uh, or basically your harvest or your crop. Very little mm -hmm. in it really at all. So you've almost got to go back to what you want to do prior to that. So seeds, obviously, they're probably the cheapest way of doing it. Um, there are more varieties uh, probably open to the amateur market than there are in the sets. 
because the sets take a you know almost through the commercial side of it they're mm-hmm. produced on the off side of, of their commercial arm and whereas the seed side is very much for the amateur so there's a lot more varieties you can get on the seed and you know if you go through the process of sowing your seed uh you can do it uh quite early on uh you're gonna have to do it longer than uh, or set them off earlier than you would do with the sets um they're probably more cold tolerant than the sets as well so you can start them earlier but you are i think we sort of spoke about this in, in previous podcasts you're just looking at two 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 sort of point phases in the cycle of the plant really mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know the sets come from seeds so they're not they're not a totally different type of plant um they're from the seeds the year before so basically uh you've got someone to grow the sets for you from seeds last year they overwinter them and they become the sets that you put in the ground mm-hmm. or you you sow your own seeds uh much earlier on so almost the first week of first week of the year you can sow them and they will uh become they'll almost catch each other up mm. so it's, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're happy to sow seeds um there is extra effort i would say to sowing the seeds it's great fun though um you know much more rewarding i suppose mm. you know how many you're getting you know what varieties you can pick through uh, but the onion sets they're probably more user-friendly should we say mm. so you know, you can, you know, you get in, you've got 20 of them, they're in a bag, um, you can t- you feel them, they're, they're a bit easier to plant probably, or yeah. more, more secure to plant rather than pricking out small, small, small seedlings. Um, the one good thing about seeds is, in generally, they don't flower, uh, or they don't try to go to flower, so bolting, um, so bolting where, where the where basically the set is trying to almost flower rather than turn into an onion bulb. So you, you want mm. all the effort to go into making an onion rather than mm-hmm. a flower um so the seeds usually don't bolt as much however there are sets and we do some um that are called heat prepared uh and they they undergo some some pressure heating which usually it's not 100 percent, but it certainly reduces the instances of bolting so you can overcome that as well um obviously it does take longer for the seeds to sow so from sowing to pricking out to planting out in the garden takes longer than you would if you bought your sets in so there's probably six to eight weeks difference as far as as, as getting um planting them out in the garden mm. uh, but as i said i think generally they catch both each other up and there is there is a little bit of storage probably preference to seeds they, they do they do say that seeds storage or seed grown store slightly better but i think that's down to varieties and timing and probably mm. a lot more influences than just the seed or just the sets um mm-hmm. I, so it's it's so much preference really yeah um it is easier i would say to grab a bag of sets um you've got you, you if you prepared your soil you put the sets in and away you go yeah obviously with the seedlings uh you've got to grow them on you've got to pick them out and then you've got to put them in the ground so there is a bit more work but it's a bit more expensive to buy a set it's a bit cheaper on the seed but it takes you longer so in there's not much in it really it's whatever it's preference you prefer how you prefer to garden mm. i um, guess if you're a new gardener as well and this is ex- perhaps yeah. your first year growing onions you might want to start going with sets and then yeah. perhaps next year when you want to branch out into new varieties and stuff perhaps try exactly. some seed yeah I'm, I'm mean, got... i mean we've got a bit of a halfway house because we we offer the seedlings in plugs so you've got mm. your seed uh-huh. you've got your seed packets your seedlings in plugs and then you've got your sets. so so th- there's almost three options there's a there's a seed to grow yourself or a seedling that we've grown for you or the sets as you say that just feel probably a little i wouldn't say they're more successful but they feel like um a bit easier to do um rather than go through the seed sowing process but uh 
either way, as I said right at the beginning, I don't think there's much in the yield really. Uh, it's just mm. how you prefer your gardening. So yeah. yeah, try both. I think that's one of the really lovely things about gardening that if one thing doesn't work for you, there's always another method that you can try and there's almost no right and wrong answer. It's whatever works for you, which I think is absolutely it's really lovely. Yeah. And, and if you really like onions, try all three. <laughs> yeah. yeah give them a give them a race see, 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 what yeah. see what works best for you yeah and and again with with like the almost the plugs and the older plants the sets so if you if you almost don't get around to sowing your seeds you don't you don't have to write off your onion sowing season for that year you can catch yeah. yourself up by by putting the sets in later on mm. so yeah it's uh, it, you certainly shouldn't miss out if you haven't done your seed sowing of your of your onions yet absolutely not I used to have a problem with crows pulling um, onion sets out just as they started to to sprout. You get that little green shoot, along would come the crows, <laughs> yeah. they'd pull the onion sets out. So I think if I was living in that particular area again, um, I would probably go down the seed route, mm. Um, mm. But as, as Mike yeah. says, lots of choices. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Um, so moving on, our next question um, came in from Andrew via email and he has said, it was really interesting listening about the plant origins. I live in an area where it stays cold for quite a while but want to grow tomatoes. Do you have any tips for replicating their favourite conditions? Um, tomatoes, of course, come from um, the Americas um, or um, Central South America. And um, I think one of the one of the challenges with gardening is we're all the time trying to create conditions for plants from not only lots of different countries, but lots of different different continents. And for us living in the UK, mm. tomatoes, as we know, they don't like frost. So you're going to need to create conditions that can keep those plants frost free until we're past the danger of of frost, which which I think in um, certainly in Suffolk, I would say is is early early June. Mm -hmm. um, I remember one year preparing plants for Chelsea Flower Show, and literally the day before we were about to load everything, an almighty frost, <laughs> and uh, it caused um, um, quite a bit of damage and quite oh, a bit no. of chaos and quite a bit of anxious <laughs> moments. Um, so even the end of May is not too late to get a frost. Yeah. So you've got to be on your on your guard and and in in the in the um in the countries on the continents where these plants grow in their in their natural environment they won't be getting they won't be getting that risk of 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 frost. So it's about creating conditions whether it's a greenhouse in a conservatory um you know if if you're growing tomatoes in a in a grow bag or in pots you could try sheltering them off against the side of the house if you're, you know, a nice warm, um, nice warm wall. But you've got to guard against that, that late, late frost. Mm. And I think it's the same with many other plants. And um, you know, I was always told don't mix cucumbers and tomatoes together in the greenhouse because they require different levels of humidity. Tomatoes, they they like a certain amount of heat, mm. but low humidity. Whereas cucumbers, of course, they like lots of heat and they like a much higher humidity. And it's um, one of those compromises that that just just won't work. And I, I, I think one of the fascinations about growing plants, growing crops to eat, is to try and adapt to the conditions that you have to get the best 
possible results. And sometimes that might mean using cloches, greenhouses, sheets of plastic, whatever it is, just to create a local environment that enables that plant to get established and then and then thrive. I think there's a lot of that sort of worrying about if, say, you don't have a conservatory or, or something, what you can do for it. But I think, you know, if you've got a sunny windowsill, you can start stuff off, can't mm. you? It's just, you know, you can make the best of whatever conditions you've got. Definitely. And, and you know, there are, there are larger plants that can be, you know, if you don't want to go to the trouble of growing something from, from seed, although it's, it's great fun, um, you do often see very tall tomato plants on windowsills in, <laughs> yeah. um, in May before they, <laughs> before they get to be planted out. Uh, again, they can get too warm. And they need to be as you know they need to be kept cooler and not too bright so that they can you can keep the internodes shorter, which will ultimately give you more tomatoes as well. Uh, it's it's about adapting the conditions, but l- you can get instant garden ready plants in late May, early June. And if you're in a particularly frosty area, you don't have a greenhouse, you don't have conditions or an, an, an environment that enables you to have a maturing tomato plants sheltered from the frost then that may be a better option yeah and so the final question comes from sarah which came in via email and she says i loved hearing about the different types of tomatoes you can grow and have added some new varieties to my wish list can you also recommend any chili varieties i love a bit of spice but my housemate doesn't so something mild and something hot would be great yeah a fantastic question because there's so much to choose from um and uh, no surprise that somebody likes hot and somebody likes mild. That's the usual, usual yeah. <laughs> That's the usual way relationships way. work. <laughs> That's always the way. Uh, yeah, so I had a look at a couple of each, really. First one was a first couple were mild ones, um, which have, have got a bit of bit of a spice, a bit of taste to them. But you know they won't get you running for the for the cold tap immediately. So um, there's one called Vampire, which is a fantastic name, <laughs> and it's it's not. Um, it's the sort of name that you should strike fear into you think maybe it's the heat but it's it's not it's because it's actually got it's a fantastic looking plant it's really quite dark foliage it's almost dark purple dark purple stems dark purple leaves as it gets older mm. um it's got violet flowers as well which are quite striking um and the fruits uh, go from red to dark purple as well they're, they're sort of they're probably semi-long um they're not sort of the the, pep, the round pepper shape. Um, they're the long, thin type shape, but they look fantastic. And that's that's quite mild. It's quite fruity. Uh, it's great for containers. Only grows about thirty centimeters high as well. So it's it's perfect for small spaces. Mm. Um, that's a great one for mild. There was the, the other one that I looked at mild was um, there's one we we do called Trinidad perfume, uh, which is a mild taste. And when you cook it up, there's sort of a, a fragrance, a perfume that comes off it. Hence the name on it. Uh, that's a yellow one actually. Um, and that's more of a sort of the, the squashed pepper type shape. Mm. Um, and and both of those are, are lovely to grow, but, um, you know, they both give you a mild taste to the, to the chilies. Uh, the hot ones, fantastic, probably the best name we've, we've got in our range, Armageddon. Um, I mean, what, you know, what does that con- conjure up? It's sort of, um, and I'd, if, if people are aware of how they sort of scale heat on chilies is a Scoville scale, mm. uh, which just measures, measures the content really. And then the heat scale, 
Um, this has got 1.3 million on that scale. It sounds amazing, but um, <laughs> if you look at a mild, a mild will probably be 15,000 to mm-hmm. 25,000. So it's 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 an odd scale. It's in thousands, really. So it's, it sounds it, it sounds amazing. It's Armageddon. It's 1.3 million Scoville <laughs> scales. You know, it's got to have something about it. But that's a small small red pepper shaped one. Uh, it's a UK bred one as well, which is great. You know, there is UK breeding for these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is one that we've picked up. And, it, you know, that's it's a slightly larger plant. It's a plant that grows probably 60, 70 centimetres tall and the fruits sort of hang down in, in, in the in the canopy of, of the plant. But that's a great one to use. Great name as well. Uh, and then hot char, hot Thai, uh, Thai as in sort of Thai food. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's a red upright one. That's, that's sort of a patio one again. So the fruits actually come over the top of the foliage so they're, they're quite striking to look at quite obvious to see them um that one has also got the rhs uh, award of garden merit which mm. which usually means it's got some you know it, it it's one of the better ones out there and it's gone through a few rigorous tests that's a hundred thousand or around about a hundred thousand on the scoville scale so not quite yeah. as quite as hot as armageddon but both those two will uh, certainly give you a kick um and it'd be <laughs> it'd be i'm not sure what the relationship is but it'd be great fun to uh chop them all up mix them up and then let them taste them see what you see, <laughs> see, <laughs> see yeah blindfold test see if see if that see see how strong your relationship really is <laughs> um so, i'm yeah. just looking at a photo of this armageddon one and it's honestly making my mouth and senses tingle just Even, looking at yes. the fruits on it yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a it's a it's, it's a threatening weapon absolutely <laughs> but uh yeah it's uh, it's great for, i mean the chili world is is yeah is, is so varied in depth mm. there absolutely is yeah i mean we, we've we tried to pick ones that have got you know, you could probably do 50 of similar ones. They've all got the heat. They all grow similar. But uh, we just tried to be varied and actually tried to introduce a bit of um, ornamental look to them as well. A bit like, you yeah. know, the vampire. It's, it's dark. I was going to say that vampire you know, one looks really nice. Just Yeah, it's nice. a lovely plant to look at. And, oh, you actually get some fruits off it, you know. So it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a mm. bonus on that as well. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think those two on the mild, two on the hot, have a go at them. And, um, yeah, see if you can convert one to the other, really. Yeah. See, that's that's a dangerous thing for me to know because I'm always one of those people that gets carried away with sowing loads of different varieties of chili just because they're all so <laughs> beautiful. So I think I'm going to have to try and forget the last couple of minutes of conversation <laughs> lest I have no windows or space in my whole house ever again. <laughs> yeah, you can get a bit obsessive with it and collect them all and grow them all. And what's wrong with that? Nothing wrong yeah. with growing, growing. Nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong with yeah, find yourself looking up a lot of preserving recipes towards the end of the season. <laughs> I think that Make is that is jelly. <laughs> exactly. I think that is one thing with certainly the varieties, sort of modern varieties, modern breeding. Not only they, uh, you know, they look good, they good habits, but the the cropping and the fruiting of them is 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 enormous and actually goes on for months and months you know it can go on until mm. sort of october november even yeah. um if you've got the protection up so yeah um enjoy them but um don't be too disheartened you can't pick every fruit and use it because you can't you're not going yeah. to so just just enjoy what you can and get off what you want mm. yeah if you dry them laura they make great christmas decorations and <laughs> yeah. my daughter made a christmas wreath out of, we grew a lot of chilies one year and she made a christmas wreath out of chilies yeah. which looked amazing oh, i'll wow. email you a picture of it because wow. it was just stunning oh yes i'd Excellent. love to see so you know think outside the box as to what a christmas tree decorations they are yeah. fantastic Excellent. um 
But thank you so much for joining us this series. It's been really great having you on and um, thank you for sharing all your advice no with us. Um, so before we go, just for any listeners who want to get their hands on some fruit, veg, flowers, seeds, plug plants, anything, um, could you tell us a little bit about the Marshall's Garden website? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you go to marshallsgarden.com, um, on there you'll find virtually uh, the whole range of, of fruit and veg and the ornamentals uh we've got a we've still got time to get all the seeds uh, ordered still got time to get the seeds sown uh we've introduced uh, an enormous uh, range this year compared to the last few years and extended the range where we can on, on on virtually every area so go and have a look for the new varieties in there there's a lot of mix and matches that we're doing this year as well so mm-hmm. a bit like the chilies we've just discussed so you know you can pick and mix almost tomatoes chilies uh ornamental plants as well uh still got time to to order um some of the seed potatoes are still in there and we're just starting to get into the ornamental land of uh um, easter's coming up so you know there's plenty of new ornamental ranges that we've added this year as well Mm. um so yeah it's it's a really extended range and there's lots of newness in there lots of new ways of of buying things uh so it's gonna have a look around yes marshallsgarden.com um and you'll you see everything we've just talked about and, and a, a lot more. Uh, and we do have an interactive, uh, if you don't get a catalogue, we, we've we've introduced an interactive catalogue this year, which is great. So you almost go on it as though you're reading it and you just browse through it as though it's mm. uh, in your hand. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's great fun. Have a look. There's loads of stuff on there. Have a look around. Yeah. If uh, the chilli sales suddenly go through the roof in the next <laughs> hour, you know that Laura's busy. Yeah. Well, I, I was actually going to say, I'd like to... Um, offer a word of warning to to listeners exercise caution because i went on the marshall's garden website to buy some (laughs) strawberry runners left not only with strawberry runners but also had ordered blueberry bushes kiwi bushes (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know just know that you'll go on there and you'll want to buy everything (laughs) absolutely yeah Uh, nothing wrong with that we'll we'll take that thank you very much (laughs) um but yeah thanks Thanks again thanks so much that's great for for having us. us it's been great And Blake, shall we go and talk about some gardening news stories? So I've got a bit of an uplifting story to share with you today, Laura. Have you? I love an uplifting story, so please do share. I feel like we all need it right now. There's lots of negative news stories and it's all a bit doom and gloom, but so it's nice to hear something positive. Yes, uplift us. Exactly. So this is the news that's come from the RHS that they are now committed to going 100% peat-free by 2025, which isn't that far away. No, it really isn't. Just around the corner. Um, They're actually already 98% peat-free across most of their plants and Mm. the shops and stuff no longer sell peat-based bagged compost so mm. they're, they're getting there there's a few exotic and specialist plants I think that aren't um at the moment but yeah, so it's just the final push it's the final push they're going to roll it out across everything RHS so um it's a really bold commitment I think mm. really good that they're they're making that commitment I think it's um sometimes especially as um, individual growers, it can feel a bit like, what as an individual can I do, or how much impact can I have by just my little garden? So yeah. when a great big organisation like the RHS makes that commitment and mm-hmm. um, decides they're going to change and overhaul their practices, I think it's a really positive thing, and yeah, hopefully that will trickle down to other people. Um, and for anybody that doesn't know, 
why you might hear lots of gardeners saying not to use peat or to use peat-free compost and why there's been this move away from it is that the peatlands um, from which peat is harvested are the world's largest carbon stores. So they lock in this carbon in the ground and stop it going out into the atmosphere um, and also provide really valuable ecosystems for wildlife too. So uh, we kind of, with everything that's happening, need with the planet need to make sure that we are moving towards that so yeah Mm. a really good positive step by the RHS um, and I'm glad they've they've made that commitment. That's amazing and I think as well um, even if you look over quite recent history in the industry I think the peat-free products now are coming on in absolute leaps and bounds they're so you know so much better than they were and getting better all the time and I think as you say the RHS making this commitment should definitely make a lot of other people think about it too i think as well there's um you a lot of people will perhaps go and buy peat-free bagged compost now for when they're um sowing plants etc but there's sometimes it's sometimes still difficult to know um what like if you're buying a potted plant whether that's in peat you know not everything's labeled particularly well so Mm. um but actually in this press release that i got from the rhs it also says that the industry as a whole the commercial industry is going to be going peat free by 2030 or that's the aim Mm. so yeah um it is happening it's a positive time for the industry a really positive time it feels like a good it feels like a really good step in the right direction and i think yeah it's adapting which is good definitely everyone can definitely get behind that um, I have a story that is a little, a little bit more lighthearted. I mean, that was a lighthearted story, but I mean, this makes it look serious, Blake. <laughs> um, I believe we've spoken before on the podcast, or if it wasn't on the podcast, it was probably just in the office. Do you remember the office? <laughs> just about. <laughs> um, we'd spoken about the vegetable orchestra. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what what they are, it really is what it says on the tin. They're an orchestra that play vegetables. Oh, uh, which is amazing. And you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, that's that's probably a one off thing. There's not that much vegetable related music <laughs> going on, veg pop groups and such. Well, I have to tell you, there is. There's some more. There's more. <laughs> what have you found? There's a children's band. Yeah. I was uh, having a look around online and saw this. Um, there are a children's band who sing about fruit and vegetables. Yeah. And all of them are named after fruit and vegetables. For example, one of them is called Rhubarb. <laughs> um, basically. Um, <laughs> Wait, what are the others <laughs> called? <laughs> um, well, we have I want the full story. <laughs> Sir, Sir Paul McCartney. And asparagus. Wow. Yep. I know. Inspired. I know. Let's get them into a sort out the puns at the start yeah. of the episodes. <laughs> oh, please. Um, yeah. Well, they're called the Vegetable Plot. Great name. And they have a, a well-known song called Mr. Potato. And basically, they have um, everyone in the band has a history of chronic illnesses and allergies. Um, so basically, they have been trying to find the right meals that everyone can safely and happily eat and they're encouraging people to eat their fruit and veg oh cool via dressing in 
bright veggie outfits and well, whatever works. singing about it. Yeah. So is this aimed at kids more, presumably, or just any <laughs> anyone that we need to read? Yeah. Yeah, it is. But I mean, I feel like we can all get a bit of joy from that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would ask you to sing their most known song, but um, I'm um, not sure that would be something that anybody would want to hear. So. I mean, we don't want to get, A, we don't want to get a copyright strike and B, nobody wants to hear me singing. So um, I can go off and just do the pop star routine in the shower and I believe you've got some jobs on the plot yeah for one final time this series I have some jobs on the plot if you've been growing green manures over the colder months you'll want to think about digging these in soon if you haven't done so already these need to be chopped down at least two weeks before you plan to sow or plant out in that area as the decaying material can suppress plant growth all you need to do to prepare the ground is simply chop the foliage down and leave it to wilt and then dig into the top 25 centimetres of soil. So much green foliage over the winter can provide plenty of comfy hiding places for the local slug and snail populations, so think about getting slug controls in place too. With sowing season underway, those emerging seedlings are going to be a tempting treat, so it's a good idea to give some thought to how you'll combat these notorious pests. It's a good time to prune blueberries because you'll be able to see which shoots have been damaged by winter chills. The framework is also clearly visible allowing you to create and maintain a well-balanced shape. Any healthy prunings can be used to strike hardwood cuttings. Just be sure to select last year's wood for these rather than anything older as young stems are more likely to root. And finally you can plant onion sets now. The set should be sunk into the ground 10cm apart in rows spaced at 30cm to allow the bulb to swell to its desired size. Site in a sunny but sheltered spot in fertile, well-drained soil. Leave the tip just showing above the soil but firm in well. But where they are appealing to birds and can be easily plucked from the ground by their top shoot if they are left unprotected. So cover with fleece until they've rooted. You'll be harvesting them in autumn. Have a wonderful week on the plot and from all of us here, happy growing. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of The Dirt in partnership with Marshalls. Marshalls Garden is an online gardening shop where it's easy to find everything you need for gardening all in one place. Founded over 75 years ago, its heritage is in supplying vegetable seeds and plants, including seed potatoes, onions, fruit plants and trees to grow your own gardeners. The company's passion, expertise and excellence continues in 2021 where it will launch over 130 new seed varieties. Specialists in garden care, Marshalls has the best range of compost, fertilisers, controls and hardware you will find online. Order from the easy to use website or from the delightful catalogue for convenient delivery direct to your door. You'll find lots of help and advice on the website, including growing guides, seasonal advice, monthly jobs and inspiration for projects to do in the garden. Just visit marshallsgarden.com for more. And don't forget to subscribe for free to make sure you never miss an episode of The Dirt. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell all your lovely garden and allotment neighbours where to find us. Plus, as a special treat... We've got an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for the Dirt listeners. 
Head to growfruitsandveg.co.uk forward slash gpod7, that's G-P-O-D and the number seven, or call 0800 904 7000 and quote gpod7 to receive seven issues of our magazine Grow Your Own straight to your door for just $29.99. That's $11.94 off. Every issue is edited by me and the team and is packed with gardening advice and jobs to tick off your list and a big bonus. Each magazine comes with a selection of free seeds so you can get growing straight away. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And on a final exciting note, we're on the hunt for podcast guests and the next one could be you or someone you know. If you, a friend or a family member, has some great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny plot disasters they'd like to share, let us know by emailing thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk.